Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to be able to gather together in thy house to worship thee, to look now into thy word and to meditate upon it, to help us put this chaotic world into focus by calibrating our lives on the unchanging rock that is thy word. We're so thankful that we have this assurance in these uncertain times, and we ask for thy presence now to be with us, and that thou wouldst bless us according to thy will for each one. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I had a few thoughts running through my head, and uh, for this afternoon's meditation, I'd like us to turn to the 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, a very familiar passage. Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> starting with the first verse. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily, I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye hear, which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye, therefore, the parable of the sower. When any one heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. 
But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I've read until verse 23. The end of verse 23. <clears throat> the reason that this chapter came to mind is because of a recent and an upcoming event. Last week we laid to rest Sister Emma. Her life is finished now here below and she goes on to her reward. And we spoke about the many things that she did in her life and how the Lord provided increase through her. The seed found good ground. This coming weekend, Lord willing, we'll be witnessing a baptism. As is often said as part of the baptismal service, these are now young plants, tender plants. In the, in the garden or in the vineyard of the Lord. New shoots are springing up. And as I was thinking about that, I, I confess I was a bit melancholy because not every seed that sprung up, even in our own congregation, has produced fruit. We know that Toronto is sort of a, a train station church. Many have come through here over the years, and I'm sure you know, you're familiar with the numbers that if everyone that came to Toronto stayed, we'd have a church probably the size of Kitchener. Um, but even discounting those that traveled on to other fellowships, there have been many, many over the years that have been baptized that have expressed faith in our fellowships and have left us, have moved on. You know, it's a common practice during baptisms to take a photo of the converts. And the other day we were looking through some of those old photos that Grace had took when she was still single and many, many from those photos are no longer with us, no longer in our fellowship question becomes why and with the Lord's help and with this parable before us I'd like to spend a little bit of time thinking about some of these things the sower sowed the seed there are three elements to this parable the sower the seed and the ground that's it and yet not every seed sprung up. Not every seed produced fruit. So where does the fault lie? 
Is it with the sower? Was it a problem with the seed? Or does the fault lie in the ground? I think we can see from this parable it's clear that the sower is none other than the infallible Son of God. The seed he sowed is the truth. There can be no error there. There can be no problem there. Therefore, it must be found in the ground itself. One of the most fascinating characters in Scripture is Judas to me. Uh, he, he perplexes me. And he, he received all of the same things that the twelve received. He saw the miracles. He heard the teaching. He spent time with the same rabbi. And you may wonder, was he just simply doomed? He couldn't help himself. He just happened to be the unlucky one of the 12 that was chosen ahead of time to be the traitor. If we go to the first chapter of Acts, we read something that Peter said. <clears throat> The end of the first chapter says, And they, this is the disciples, appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. His own place. Not the place that had been pre-selected for him and he had no say. A place that he had created for himself. You know, the same winds and waves that carry one ship from one harbor safely to another may end up wrecking another one that is not so careful. All of the elements were there. There was nothing lacking on the Lord's part. It wasn't that Christ selected Judas ahead of time as some kind of a scapegoat to be the one that was going to play the part of the traitor. He had a choice. And so do each one who hear the word of God. It's not simply, well, I'm that type of ground and therefore there can be no salvation for me. No. The variable here is the ground and we all have a choice with what we will do with that seed. So as we look through these different grounds, perhaps we can understand a few things about them that maybe will help us will encourage us. Because just because we may be a certain type of ground during the sowing of the seed at a certain time does not mean we have to stay that type of ground. It is not a foregone conclusion. Every, every plot of soil, every human heart that is hearing my words this afternoon can indeed be good ground 
for the seed. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. There are many in this class. In fact, I would say the majority of the world is this type of ground. Even in so-called Christian nations, this type of ground, even in so-called Christian churches, this type of ground is to be found. Many in conservative circles would agree that the church is a good thing, that laws and statutes of government based on the principles of God's word are good and right. But that will not save. The word of God does not penetrate that kind of heart. And many, I think, are smug in their profession of the church being a noble and venerable institution worthy of preserving and saving and even attending perhaps every Sunday. But it does not penetrate the heart. No change in the life. There's still the same foul-mouthed, maybe lying, and so on, in spite of this profession about the good things about God's word. It does not, it does not get below the surface. They go out from the service, and whatever little was heard is carried swiftly away by idle thoughts, old patterns, the devil himself. The next plot of ground we see is the stony places. And here, this does not mean like the gravel around our church. You'll see things grow in that too. No, this type of ground is different. There's a large stone under the surface and a thin amount of dirt on top of it. This is the type of ground <clears throat> that the Lord is speaking of here. And here, the seed falls. And in the springtime, as the ground warms up, and as the moisture is abundant, that seed springs up very quickly, faster even than other areas in the field, because it warms first. The seed germinates, it splits open, it sends forth these shoots. Things look wonderful. But then Christ himself says, <clears throat> and anon, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Now here in the West, persecution is a rare thing. Someone saying something not so complimentary about Christians doesn't really count as persecution in my opinion. They may say the same thing about your race or your skin color. <clears throat> That's not an a, a intense kind of persecution. But something happens when opposition comes. And it says because there is no depth of earth, that's, that, that young plant is quickly scorched. So what is that rock? What is that, that, that immovable 
boulder under the surface that prevents the, the roots from going down. I think it's simply self. Self. That's it. People are content with having Christianity added on top of their life. But if those roots go down and seek to change, change the inside, the deep things, that's too far. Self gets in the way. When the Word of God begins to take root in our heart, we can be a joyful receiver of it. We can recognize the wonderful things that the gospel promises. We can see the advantages of a Christian life, a Christian family, a Christian upbringing. But where the roots of that young plant meet self and selfishness, if self is not broken up, if the heart is not truly broken, that seed will be scorched and that plant will bear no fruit. If you recall the uh, account that's given in the Gospels about uh, the rich young ruler, and uh, he comes to Jesus and he's complimentary, he's, he's, he's exuberant even about the possibilities of the Gospel. He runs to him and kneels down before him and says, Good master, what must I do? And Jesus sees, and he rejoices even in that, in that joy, in that eager response of the rich young ruler. But our Lord was no ordinary man. He saw that there was something in that man's heart that needed to come out. And so he gave him the one thing that he was unwilling to do. He put self to the test. Do you really want eternal life? To get that eternal life, are you willing to give up everything here? And those roots could no, go, go no further. The young man went away sorrowful because it says he had great possessions. He was depending on himself to take care of himself. He only wanted something on top of his life. He didn't want a changed life. When we come to the third type of ground, we are speaking now about the thorns. And there, it seems that things start so well. You know, when we finished raking out the dirt and put down the seed, things look pretty clean. But over time, you see what happens. Those vigorous weeds spring up. There is enough nutrients in that soil to grow grass or to grow weeds, but not both. And where things begin competing in our life, 
You know, it looks like for a while things can coexist. There's enough room for the weeds and for the grass, if we're going to use the parable of what's out here. And they sprout together, but over time the one begins to crowd out the other. And then the Lord has only one solution for us. Something has to go. Pruning, if we're talking about vines, needs to happen. The unnecessary parts need to be trimmed away if we really want to bear fruit. If it's a garden, we have to weed. We've got to pull those weeds so they do not compete with the healthy plants. And so, for our young converts, too, be on guard for those weeds in your life. They'll show up from time to time. They often come with important decisions in life. Where you go for school, what you choose as a career. And it's hard sometimes to tell initially what's a weed and what's the plant. The second parable here is about that a little, little bit more in a, in a different way. We didn't read that far in this chapter. But be very careful and watch. Anything that makes you unfruitful for the Lord is a weed. Anything that robs you of strength. I quoted it before and I'll probably quote it again, but for what it's worth, the Quakers came to the, the New World because of religious freedom. And instead of them, they came to do good. They were very rich in, in, in alms deeds, as the scripture would say. But instead, they ended up doing well. They were good, hardworking businessmen, and they made money. But they didn't end up doing the good that they thought they would be doing. That, that suffered because of business interests. And now the Quakers only know the man on the box, or now the only way that we know about Quakers is the man on the box of oatmeal. <clears throat> but if you go back in their past and you read about what they did, what they did for slaves, they were ones who went to the slave auctions and actually bought the slaves and set them free using their own money. They believed in what the Lord taught and how they should do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. And they lived those things. But then thorns came up. Other things happened. Things got in the way. And the seed was choked. Last of all, we get to the good ground. And here, I'm so thankful that Jesus took the time to explain these parables. Aren't you glad that the disciples were just ordinary, dumb men? I'm so thankful that they weren't brilliant geniuses. I would have been left behind in the dust. I wouldn't know what these things meant. But just because that they were ordinary men, didn't catch on right away. Christ took the time to explain it to them. I'm so thankful that he did. Let's see what he says. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. <clears throat> so, how can we be the good ground? What is required of us? 
think it says in another place, uh, another one of the accounts here, it, it says, if I remember it correctly, it says, who out of an honest and good heart, starts with that. And what I read from that is sincerity. God can do nothing with you if you are insincere. With God, he already knows what you are about. He understands you completely. You can't fool God. But when you think you can, that's insincerity. You need to be sincere and honest with God. If you have problems, even if you have problems believing in him, be honest about it. Until those, uh, those barriers are removed, the seed cannot properly take root. Sincerity, earnestness, that's important. That's important in any earthly endeavor. If you want to see returns on a business venture, you better be sincere about it. You better commit to it. A half committal will not bring success. So it is with those who would bear fruit for the Lord. It says here, he heareth the word and understandeth it. What does that mean? You know, the scripture calls, uh, the Psalms were mentioned this morning, and the psalmist David many times says, he loved to meditate on the law of the Lord. That word, meditate, is a very important one for the, uh, for the believer, but especially for the young believer, I think. What does it mean to meditate? I, I think we've confused it, that, that word, with uh, what Eastern religion te teaches about meditation, some kind of a clearing of your mind to a point of a, a blank state. That's not the meditating that the Word of God is talking about. It's not a contemplation of nothing. It's actually the opposite. It's the contemplation of something. And when we, have you ever had the experience where you've got a, a, a problem to solve or something that you're, you're really wrapped up in? And you'll be going about your, your day's business and the thought will just pop into your head and you'll start thinking about that problem again or, or that, that issue that you're, you're, you're concerned about. And sometimes when you're, when, you're, when you're perhaps walking in a store and you see something, that something that you see will remind you of something. You think, oh, maybe I could do this about this problem. It comes unbidden to the mind. That's what it's like to meditate on the law of the Lord. Little things. Even better, perhaps, is when you're thinking about someone. When you have someone on your heart or mind. And you're thinking about them, a, cl a close friend perhaps, or, or perhaps a loved one. And you're, you're, things that you see remind you of, of them. Perhaps you're walking through a store and you think, oh, they would love to have this as a gift. Or you're thinking, you know, we start thinking about ourselves too. We think, well, maybe I need to change the way that I behave, or I, or I need to mention this to them next time I see them, because you know, the, 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 the person is not there but always coming again and again to our mind. That's what it's like when we, are, when we are saturated with the Word of God. Things that we see, things that we experience will trigger those things that we have heard. And we will meditate on them and turn them over again and again in our minds. Meditation is not a state of inactivity. It's preparation for action. 
That's what God's looking for in the, in the fertile ground. Which also beareth fruit. And again, and, and I, I read some of the other accounts of this parable, and it says specifically there, with patience. With patience. That's another unpopular word, I think, in today's culture. We're so used to instant, right? Instagram. You know, like, right now. No waiting for anything. And yet, patience is so important. It's so important to the Christian. We are, we are reminded again and again to be patient. And patience has two halves to it. Um, they used to talk about that as a... As a the, the feminine side of patience and the masculine side of patience. And uh, the way that they would think about this is that the, the, the feminine side or the one side of patience was this ability to, uh, to endure, to, to, to suffer through. And if you think about a woman in childbirth, the ability to, to, um, to bear that pain and to rejoice over the end result. But there's another side of patience. And this, the old writers used to refer to as the masculine side of patience. And it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the perseverance, the endurance, the grit that gets you through. Whether in battle or in uh, other contests, the ability to just suck up pain and keep moving. Not ever saying surrender. That's the other side of patience. And we see both come together in Christ. Christ was the perfect man. And I, I, don't, I don't know if we fully understand even what that meant. But if you think about it this way, this helps me at least a little bit. When, Ad, when, when God made Adam in the very beginning, you know, that's the first Adam, and he called Christ the last Adam. The first Adam, that first Adam, from Adam, he took a rib and made woman. What that tells me is that he expected the two to work together as one. And we heard about that uh, this morning in Brother Doug's closing, about the one man as one man. God expected that, that that union, that marriage union, that couple, that they would represent the perfection of what God intended for the human race. But we see the differences between the sexes. We see the, 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 the conflicts that result in humanity. And yet we see in Christ the perfection of what God had exactly in mind. And in Christ, we see both sides of this patience. We see the ability to bear, to simply bear pain and suffering, but then also the perseverance that took him right through to the cross. We see both. And so we see the complete picture. God is looking for both if we want to bear fruit. The ability to suffer, long-suffering, it's called in Scripture, but the ability to also persevere because of the joy that is set before us. We're reminded of that as well. And so for my young souls that are awaiting baptism and for all of us who have already experienced it, may we be encouraged to bear fruit for the Lord in these things. To begin in sincerity, not think that we're going to pull one over on God. You may be able to fool the people in this building, but you'll never fool the Lord. Sincerity is so important. We need to meditate on God's word. We need to be saturated with it so it comes unbidden to our mind at, at any moment. And finally, we need to have patience and persevere. Then God will bless, and we will see that 30, 
sixty or hundredfold that the scripture talks about. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Could a brother please select a hymn?